Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. You might want to uh, open up or turn on your Bibles, uh, Exodus chapter 3. If you're new to church and faith, um, you will find Exodus at the start of your Bible. Open up the first binder or the first kind of cover and you flick it through about 70 pages and you'll find Exodus around there. If you don't have a Bible, there's plenty of Bibles up on the back table and you can take that home if you don't have one at home. Uh, if you uh, have downloaded the Bible app um, through Uversion, you can hook into the live event, uh, which will have all the texts that we're going to use. You can highlight text, you can write your own notes and save it and use that for uh, your personal study or for life group uh, reflection uh, throughout the week as well. So a couple of opportunities there to engage, and not just with today, but in conversations as we go. Uh, How many people have ever moved house? How many people have moved house? How many people have moved cities? How many people have moved jobs? Moved countries? Few, few less, okay. Uh, When I was in Ballarat, uh, over the course of uh, about 12 years, I moved six times in Ballarat. Uh, moved once, we moved into Ballarat from Adelaide uh, and then we moved into a house that mum and dad had built and worked on um, and then I did all the gardening for them and created the garden for them. Um, I did a lot of digging, let me tell you. Um, then after that, I, uh, mum and dad moved to uh, a new ministry. I stayed around in Ballarat uh, because I had an apprenticeship. Mum will say it was because I was in love and wasn't going to move for anything. Um, so uh, I stayed in Ballarat. I moved in with an older guy and I was batching from the time I was about 16 and a half. And when I say batching, I was kind of rotating between uh, spaghetti at home and roast and vegetables at Andrea's place. Um, so that was what my batching was like. And then I moved a couple of times because I had to move in with an older couple because my mate moved away. Uh, and then Andrea and I moved into a house together, which was convenient when we got married. And uh, that was actually Andrea's first move. Andrea grew up for 21 years in the same house. Uh, same house, born and bred. You weren't actually born in the house, were you? No, you went into a hospital to get born. Yep. Um, but the same house, 21 years, and that was Andrea's first move uh, after 21 years of life. And then her husband decided that we're going to go into ministry, which we knew before we got married. Um, so seven months later, no, eight months later, we moved to Melbourne, uh, which was huge for us as a family, huge for Andrea and huge for her family. We moved from Ballarat to Melbourne, and then we moved after four years from Melbourne to Mildura. Uh, I remember coming home, I don't know if you remember this, we flew home, Andrea's parents picked us up, flew home from an interview at the church in Mildura, and Andrea's uh, mum, the first question, how was it? Andrea burst into tears and says it was too good. Um, There were people there that loved her and welcomed her, and we could see, and fitting in and fitted in as a family, and they blessed us enormously with, uh, they loved our kids And then we moved to Horsham 11 days after Ruby was born. Has anyone moved 11 days after someone else being born in their house? Just wear that one on my own. Thanks for that. 
<clears throat> Some of us are wiser, that might be right. 11 days after Ruby was born, which was another kind of shift altogether. Um, I think I'm okay now and we're okay. I've become popular again. Um, but more recently, we've seen May and Grace move out. May moved out of our home four years ago. Uh, she's now teaching, uh, 20, she's, she's 23 or nearly 23, and teaching grade one, two students at Mooney Ponds. And this year, we've seen Grace move out to pursue. So they've pursued opportunities. So sometimes moving has opportunities about it. Sometimes we move because of necessity. The other thing that's happened with May and Grace moving out is that our two other daughters claimed their own rooms, something they've never had in their life. They were very quick to do that. I'm not sure Grace was out of her room for an hour. And one of our daughters uh, felt that she had the rightful claim to that room. Um, <coughs> Lily. Um, <laughs> But we all wrestle, there's a sense some of us will enjoy moving and some of us will uh, get excited about moving. Uh, some of us will love the sense of moving and the expectation that it brings. But in some way, whether we love it or not, we'll all have this sense where um, it brings with it a wrestle about the things that we have to leave behind. It will cause a wrestle about the things that we have known, the relationships that we've experienced, the, the environment that we've been a part of creating. We will wrestle with the sense of leaving behind and saying goodbye, while we might also hold the opportunities that are being created, the blessings that might yet to come. But it's still a wrestle as we work our way through that. Over the next few weeks, we want to explore what this journey into something new might look like. And if you are new amongst us, you've come at a really interesting time as this journey into something new aligns with a move into new facilities for the Horsham Church of Christ after a long period of planning and praying and uh, discovering and uh, all sorts of movements and actions that have happened. But more significantly, I want us to hear it like this. This is actually a journey into a call that God has upon your life, upon my life, into all that he might have in store for you none of which I can define or fully explain for you because it's a journey that you must be willing to take for yourself. So what we want to do over the next few weeks is welcome and encourage you to journey deeper into the knowledge of who God is and deeper into the knowledge of what God has done through Jesus Christ, particularly as we lead up into the Easter season at the end of this month. And I don't want us to look at that as sense, oh, it's already at the end of March. It's already... The year's already flying by. If you're a follower of Jesus, what opportunities does Easter present to you this year? Aside from going away for a weekend and having a long weekend and going camping, another opportunity to move and create new opportunities and new memories for your families, what opportunities does Easter cause you as a follower of Jesus to tell the story of your journey into what God has done in your life? What if that was our dominating thought rather than our preparations for our long weekend and camping this year? Go camping, don't hear me wrong, go camping. But consider the opportunities that might be there as well. The problem with knowing what it might mean to journey into something new is that we have to choose what we will leave behind. And that might be a possession, it might be family for a period of time, it might be an attitude. 
It might be a decision. It might be finances. It might be a behaviour. It might be some friendships. It might be a job. All sorts of possibilities when we need to consider what we need to leave behind. Many of us might have already heard of uh, a, a guy by the name of Moses. Uh, this is a true and accurate representation of Moses. Um, Moses came a couple of generations after Joseph. And he was born into a time when the Pharaoh that was uh, ruling um, Egypt at the time no longer knew anything about Joseph. So really interesting to read Bible stories and scripture stories and to encounter these stories in the power and hold these stories really in high regard and then to realise how quickly their story gets lost. Within a generation, Joseph and all he has done for Egypt is forgotten. A generation. So a couple of generations after Joseph was born, um, Moses comes along and the Pharaoh that's ruling uh, Egypt is concerned about Moses' people, who have, uh, his parents and grandparents. He's concerned about the Hebrews, the, the Israelites. Pharaoh of Egypt at this time uh, went about making the Hebrew people to be slaves because they numbered so many, Scripture tells us. They become dangerous, they might overtake us. And then that wasn't enough, so he demanded that every Hebrew boy be thrown into the Nile River. Every boy. And there's a story of the midwives, the Egyptian midwives who protected the boys and stood up for the, the Israelite women and had a blessing of God and were encountering God in numerous ways. We're told the story uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 2 that Moses' mother did throw him into the Nile River after he put him in the basket. Some of us might be familiar with this story in terms of Sunday school or early childhood memories. He was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And then this is the first instance of child support in Scripture. Moses' sister follows him, sees Pharaoh's daughter, picks him up. Moses' sister goes and runs up. Would you like me to find one of the Israelite women to look after Moses for you? Pharaoh's daughter says yes. The sister goes back to Moses' mother and says, we can look after Moses. Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' mother to look after him. <clears throat> He's taught the laws of his heritage before he grows up in the house of Pharaoh's daughter. And then at some stage, uh, he becomes an adult. Well, that's part of the course. And he kills an Egyptian who's beating up on a Hebrew slave. The next day he goes out, he sees two Hebrews uh, beating at each other. He goes to separate them, go and counsel them, go and save them, go and help them out. And one of them looks at him and says, who made you judge? Are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? At that point, Moses knew he was in big trouble because it wouldn't be long before the Pharaoh would find out what he'd done. So he bolts, he runs, he leaves behind. Sometimes we have to leave things behind out of necessity. Sometimes we're forced to move because of circumstances. But Moses' journey uh, takes him into a foreign land and he gets married and for the next 40 years, so Moses is 40 when he runs away and for the next 40 years he's tending sheep, looking after sheep. That's the summary of 80 years of life. And if you really want to capture that, you can read the summary of Moses' life in one chapter, Exodus chapter 2. 80 years. 
And in, in this, we need to be really careful how we read Scripture sometimes because sometimes we read Scripture and we think God should act quicker for us. And there's times where things, I think, do happen quickly in Scripture, but there's other times where we get a huge chunk of life that's summarised. 80 years. And all Moses has done has got to a place where he's looking after someone else's sheep. So if you're waiting at this point, if you're wondering what God is up to, if you're thinking that God is, should be operating quicker, I want to say to you and encourage you that God is patient and he might actually be preparing you to journey into something about his purposes and his call. So we pick up this story just as Moses is about to move into something new. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I mean, <laughs> like, hmm, I will go over and see this strange sight. Um, sorry, that just tickled my fancy. More than it tickled yours, apparently. Okay. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Forty years wandering around in the wilderness looking after someone else's sheep. And what fascinates me about those few verses is that God doesn't just immediately call out to Moses. He creates a strange sight first. And God waits for Moses to explore it before he calls out to him. What are the things that might be happening in your life at the moment that God might be revealing that are a bit obscure, that are a bit out there, and you're just dismissing them instead of saying, hmm, I wonder what this strange sight is. And you're too busy going through life to pay attention to what God might want to be revealing to you. See, Moses doesn't immediately recognise God, but he recognises the strange sight. And what fascinates and what I love about this story of Moses is that he doesn't respond with a sense of clarity. He doesn't understand everything that's happening. He hasn't got it all organised. He hasn't got it all under control. At least that's the way we're told in the story. We don't, we don't have insight into every thought that he had in this moment. Interestingly, most scholars believe that Moses wrote these stories of himself but all he does at this point after tending sheep, someone else's sheep, for 40 years is quite simply say, here I am. Now I wonder in all our busyness, in all our fullness, in all the things that maybe we're distracted by, in all the things that we're doing that we'd rather not be doing, and all the things that we're doing because someone else has told us to do it, and all the things that we're doing because this is just where we are, if we've got the courage to stand in a place where we don't fully understand and say, here I am. A journey cannot begin unless we have the capacity to say those three words. See, we can easily find contentment in places where we are not meant to be.
We can easily find contentment in places of anger and bitterness and disappointment and people who are disappointing us and people who have offended us and people who don't understand what we're trying to do. We can easily be content in those places. We can be miserable, but we can be content. It's just my lot in life. This is just how I'm meant to be. We can be content doing things that we were never called to do. We can be content doing things for somebody else that we were never meant to do. We can, do, we can be content pursuing the next latest and greatest thing, as, as Glenn talked about, the sense of pursuing after whatever else our friends are doing. Because we think that's the important thing to do. And it can be physical, emotional, spiritual. We can find contentment in the way, in our attitudes and responses, pointing out the finger and saying, well, everybody else needs to and then I'll do this. And yet Moses was able to say, here I am when he encountered God. Maybe you're sitting here and it's been longer than you hoped, longer than you believe it should be. And I want to say today that maybe God is also preparing you for a journey into something that you haven't even yet imagined for yourself. And it might not be so much about pointing out what's happened and how things have gone wrong and justifying everything and explaining everything. God knows all that. It might be simply about having the courage to say, here I am. See, it's easy to dismiss the initial moment of hearing or seeing because it's outside of our expectations. I don't know, would you go and approach the fire if you noticed the bush wasn't burning? Or would you go, oh, <laughs> seen that on Facebook before. <laughs> Journey into something new requires the courage to step into something that might be beyond us, that we might not yet understand or fully comprehend. See, what's also fascinating about this is that Moses grows up in a time where people have created their gods, where people have built their gods. And their gods are defined by uh, what the people bring, what the people do, how big, how big the harvest is, how many sacrifices they make, how much money they give, and then God responds. Their gods respond in that way. Much of the way that the gods responding in this culture and generation is dependent upon what people bring themselves and how we create them. And if we win the wars, if we take over more nations, our God is bigger than your God. What we're experiencing here and what we discover is not just any God, but a living God, an active God, an involved God. Listen to what happens as we continue the story. Verses 6. Um, then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, that word, Hivites and Jebusites. See, what I love about this is that God isn't actually waiting for people to prove themselves. And certainly people in slavery have been complaining and wondering when God will show up. If God loves them so much, why isn't he doing something about it? Heard that before? 
God is. God has. He actually initiates the contact. The Hebrew people have nothing. They have nothing. They are overwhelmed, overrun, and they are nothing. And that's the point. See, this is a significant shift from the Egyptian world that Moses knew and had grown up in and understood. And if Moses wasn't scared at the burning, talking bush, he would have been at the kind of land that God was talking about. I've got a land prepared for you that's good and spacious with milk and honey, that's abundant with blessing, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Moses understood exactly who these people were. They were warriors. So God has stepped into this place in an unusual way for a people that have nothing and he's promised them a land of, from everybody who has everything from this weak, pitiful nation. <laughs> what a great story. That would terrify Moses because he knows exactly who those people are. These people are warriors and they go. We know if you read the story of Joshua, you know it's too big for them. They can't do it. This plan is crazy. This idea is crazy. But God promises and wants to bring a people out of slavery and into something new. See, when God calls us to a, into a journey or God calls us to journey into something new, what do we need to leave behind? What do you need to leave behind today? What have you been wrestling with? And before we get to other people, before we get what everyone else needs to do, no, 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 no. What's that place where we need to get to where I have the courage to say, here I am and I need to leave this behind with you, God. I need to trust you in this. See, for Moses, it was leaving behind the security of tending sheep he was safe so he could guide a nation. And for Israel, it was about leaving their slavery so that they would journey into the land that had been prepared for them. And so it goes on. And God says to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh <laughs> to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Hey, hey, hang on. <laughs> Didn't you just say, God, that you've come down to rescue them? You all heard that, didn't you? Yep. So now you go. Are you catching up here or not? All right. We sit around waiting for God to act, and I want to suggest to you today, through the people of Israel and through the example of Jesus, God has acted and is inviting us to partner with him. God has acted, and while we're sitting around waiting for him to act and fix it all, he might be sitting around revealing new things to you and I and saying, all right, now you go. I want to partner with you. I want to reveal my purposes in you and through you. What do you need to leave behind? See, God has already established the promise of the new land. He's already said, I've got this for you. I've got it for you. It's here. I know what I'm doing. 
You might not understand it. You might think it's crazy. You might think it's beyond you. You might think it's bigger than anything that you've seen. That's okay. I've got it. But I want you to come with me. And then there's this great conversation. Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Don't need to worry. You can read the rest of it later. You can follow that through and read that. So you remember at the start of the text, what we learn about Moses, after 80 years, he's got to the place in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Moses has no heritage. He's got no history. He's got no family lineage. This is important for Hebrew people. And the most that he's got is that he's tending someone else's sheep. That's it. That's the summary of his life. It's a task, it's a job, and a miserable job at that. For someone else, of someone else's family. And when Moses goes up to God, it's a reasonable question because you and I have asked it of God. It's a reasonable question. And he says, God, who am I? And God says, don't worry about who you are. I'll go with you. See, in our day and age, and even in people sitting amongst this place today, we are so worried about who we are and how others seen us, have seen us and how we keep up and how we compare and how we can have and how we can look. And God still burns through the fire and says, don't worry about who you are, I've got your back. The problem we have, and I think the problem the church even has today, if you're a regular follower of Jesus and a consistent follower of Jesus, is that we don't believe half the promises that God gives us. What stops us from talking about the Easter story? Because we're more worried about what people will think about us than we are believing about a God who goes with us. I'll let that sink in for you for a bit. Um, See, our identity becomes up in our capacity to succeed or fail, which is driven by what others will think of us. What happens if this doesn't work? What will people say about me? What will they think about me? See, more important is to remember the one who goes with us. There's one final promise here. At the, uh, at the end of the chapter, which is a bit obscure. Um, verse 21 of chapter 3, And I'll make the Egyptians favourably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbour, and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians." And again, so this is where we get confused and we hear the stories, oh, God's this angry, vengeful God. He pays everyone back because we focus on the one thing, the plunder part. And I should have done a word search on the Hebrew word, but um, I'm not really sure what's happening there, to be honest. 
But what we need to understand, because this sounds obscure to us, like our generation, our culture, it's not like if we were leaving town and going to a new town and had to do it in a hurry, we wouldn't knock on our neighbour's door and say, you got a couple thousand dollars for us to move? So we don't get it, do we? We've got to be okay with this to some extent, that we don't get it. But hear this, God is making a way to lift his people out of slavery. God is providing a way to lift his people out of slavery. When you think it's too hard, when you, don't, when you think you don't have the resources, when you don't have the capacity, God creates the resources that are required for us to be lifted out of our slavery, for us to be lifted out of our heartache. So this isn't about us. It's about God's provision. And next week we'll actually see the very thing that we receive as God's provision can easily become our distraction. Uh, when we look at, when we journey into new things, but while we go to sleep. A.W. Tozer, a theologian and author, has said, perhaps it takes a purer faith to praise God for unrealized blessings than for those we once enjoyed and those we enjoy now. <clears throat> which I think is a fair summary of those couple of verses. It takes a great faith to believe that there are great blessings yet to come when we're still thinking about the blessings that we have or we haven't received behind us. God came down to rescue his people, his creation, to renew, redeem and call out of slavery. He did it for the people of Israel and he has done it for you and I. Because Jesus has stepped into the world, Jesus has stepped out of the throne room of heaven, And he's trusted in the promises of his Father so that we might journey into new life to the unworthy, to the broken, to the hopeless, to the helpless. Jesus calls new life. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, out of slavery out of disappointment, out of fear, out of bitterness, out of resentment and into his wonderful light, out of comparison and into his wonderful light. See, maybe today you're stuck in how life has been, you're stuck in what has happened and your heart is aching and afraid. God has promised to be with you and he has revealed this fully through Jesus Christ. See, God sees our misery. He hears our cry and he's concerned at our suffering and he's come down to rescue us. And it could be that you're stuck in some kind of slavery. Certainly not the same as the, Egyptian, uh, the Hebrew people, the Israelites under the Egyptians. But maybe you're being ruled by things that take life away, that make you feel worn out that you're sick of chasing after, that you don't feel like you're getting any traction in. You feel like life has just been made harder and harder. You look at your life and you're tending someone else's sheep and you're going, this is not what I had in store. This is not what I planned. 
this is not what I meant for. You're wondering where God is and why doesn't God change it. My prayer over the next few weeks that this journey into will be the opportunity to decide what you will leave behind. And I want us to do this in a very practical way. So I'm putting myself out, no, I don't know, on a limb, but Easter, Good Friday, I want us to be at a place where we bring those things that maybe we need to leave behind. Maybe it's a symbolic, maybe it's something symbolic that you need to leave behind. Maybe it's money that's holding you back. Maybe it's, I don't know, finances. Bring it some way so you get rid of it and leave it at the cross on Good Friday. And we'll donate it to something so you don't have to think about it. Maybe it's pornography that's holding you back. Maybe it's the pornography that you need to leave behind. Bring your computer. We'll trash it for you. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, the inability to say sorry to someone. I don't know, bring a great big piece of paper that says sorry to whoever. Name the person and bring it with them and be reconciled on Good Friday. Because we can do a lot of stuff in our heads. And then we go home and it's all there. So I'm giving you four weeks' notice. I'm giving you four weeks' notice to invite other people when they're talking about the stuff that's holding them back. What would it take for them to leave it behind? What would it take for you? What would it take for me? What would it take for your friends to have the capacity to understand, to even believe just a little bit that God has heard your cry, God sees your misery, and God is concerned for your suffering, and he wants to bring you into a new land.